Welcome back to Dermatologically Tested. So this week, Harriet and I will be chatting to Ig Nobel Prize winner, Professor Francis McGlone, all about itch and touch. I know next to nothing about itch, so I'm really excited to actually learn more on this subject. And while I'm already feeling the urge to itch, it's really bizarre. <laughs> I literally just scratched my nose, actually. So yeah, I know exactly how you feel. It's something that we definitely want to talk to you uh, to Professor McGlone about and to get his opinions on uh, why it is that it seems to be contagious just talking about it. I even get it if I'm if I'm writing about parasites or, or nits or something like that, headlights. Oh, God, yeah, any, any bugs. Yeah. All, yeah, it's just... Oh. Just can't, I just can't help but itch. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a really fantastic topic. I mean, like you, I, well, I, I think that most people sort of take it for granted because it's such a common ubiquitous sensation that everybody has to deal with. But unless you've got sort of chronic itch, I think it's really easy just to, to not really question it that much. Mm-hmm. And I think it will surprise people how little itch is understood and the mechanism behind it. Um, but I think that's why it makes a fascinating topic. And Professor McGlone is doing some really exciting research, both around itch and touch, which we'll get on to. But particularly at the moment uh, with the pandemic, I think the importance of touch is a really fascinating and relevant piece of piece of research. I mean, yeah, you could say uh, we'll uh, touch upon it in this podcast. (laughs) That was so awful. (laughs) So without further ado, let's introduce our guest. Professor Francis McGlone is head of the Somatosensory and Effective Neuroscience Group at the Research Centre in Brain and Behaviour at Liverpool John Moores University. Francis, thank you for joining us today. It's a pleasure. So, Harriet, do you want to kick us off? I know you've got some great questions. Yeah, of course. I'm very excited to get stuck in, really, with this uh, topic on itch. My first question for you is, what is itch and why do we know so little about it? There are classic definitions of itch, you know, as a sensory experience that, that generates a desire to scratch. It doesn't really tell you that much about it other than the, other than the obvious, but it's been trivialised to a large extent, you know, where people think that itch is just something, oh, you scratch it and it will go away. Well, when you've looked at clinical cases of chronic itch and how devastating those conditions can be, you really begin to appreciate that it's on a parallel with, with pain in terms of how distressing it can be. And I'm talking about chronic conditions. I think all of the conditions like, like pain and itch, they serve a very important function in alerting us to something going on in our bodies. At that level, when they're working normally, as they would do in most cases, uh, they benefit survival. Um, it's when they go wrong that we start having to wonder, well, how the hell do these systems work in the first place? Because we need to put them right. Yeah, and one thing that I think, you know, most people listening along will probably be noticing and something that I'm certainly noticing is is quite how contagious itch <laughs> yes. is. Um, you know, it's it's almost impossible to, to, to talk about without feeling some sort of need or reaction uh, to scratch itches. And so is that psychological? Do we understand why that happens? I, I think, Matt, it's, it's, it's again one of those things that's fascinating when you start digging into it. And obviously, over the years, I've given multiple lectures on itch. And one thing that I've noticed is that, you know, if I'm a second or third speaker, you look around the audience and people are either sitting there going asleep or they're just attentive. But as soon as I start talking about itch, everyone starts scratching. In fact, as you may know, I was awarded, myself and colleagues in, in America, the Ig Nobel Prize for itch. Uh, and when I gave my 
talk to the to an audience in Manchester in last March actually. I asked at the end of my talk, you know, how many people felt like scratching an itch, and the whole audience of about nearly 200 people put their hands up. Now, what's interesting is the evolutionary significance of that, and it may well be in primate colonies if there's a potential infestation uh, and one ape starts scratching. You know, it may be communicating something to the others that there's something that they need to take care of. It's a bit like a yawn. You know, the yawn has some kind of contagion. But itch is, again, fascinating. Why it should provoke the sensation of itch in people that previously didn't itch, just because you mentioned it, uh, is still very much a mystery. Yeah, it's one of those mysteries that's completely uh, also... You can't avoid wanting to to scratch it. It doesn't matter how much you try and (laughs) ignore it and sit still. I know. I I think, again, these parallels with itch and pain we'll we'll clearly address on a couple of occasions. But these two sensory nerves that code for itch and code for pain, one of their primary functions is waking you up. You're right. You can't ignore it. You know, if if you sort of stick a pin in your finger, you know, you'll notice it immediately. If you know, if you get stung by, if you get an insect that's sort of bit you and you've got an itch, you know, you cannot ignore it. So the itch will not go away until you've scratched it. And of course, that's the tragedy uh, of people who have chronic itch, where that itch from that body part is serving no protection function anymore. It just won't switch off. And we see exactly the same conditions in chronic neuropathic pain states where there's no need for that pain signal to still be there, but it can be there for years in chronic pain patients. And exactly the same condition we are now discovering in chronic itch. Going back to one of your earlier questions, I mean, pain is basically taking the high ground in terms of clinical research into the mechanisms of pain when it goes wrong. And of course, it's a massive cost globally, people suffering in chronic pain. But itch always seemed to be sort of second down the rankings as not being as important. It's beginning to be recognised more so, by the way. So there's now far more convergent activity from basic scientists and clinicians uh, to try and understand what's going wrong uh, with chronic itch states in the same way that we see with chronic pain. I think a lot of people, um, they see it as quite a fairly trivial thing, like something that's sort of laughed about almost. Um, Like, it's like, oh, I've got an itch, but it's not taken as seriously as pain, uh, like you said. Can you perhaps put into context how challenging itch can be for some patients? Oh, I think you've only got to meet these patients. I mean, I I think the classic one that I generally gets it across to people that itch really matters is I had a patient a number of years ago who was suffering from phantom limb pain he'd had a foot blown off on a landmine and as some of you may know there's a common consequence of losing a limb where you get this phantom I mean everybody gets a phantom when a limb has been severed but a significant proportion get a phantom pain so this guy not only had a phantom pain coming from his foot but what was driving him mad was a phantom itch between his big toe and the toe next to it and when you relate that to people and they think my god you know he's got an itch in a foot that his brain is thinking is there but it isn't so you can't scratch it and if you can't get to scratching an itch it's it's almost a route to madness you know because it's going to always be there and you cannot switch it off so yes i think in terms of its normal biological function when it works it's doing a great job you know when when it becomes pathological it's clearly the route to some devastating you know conditions that um, again we don't fully understand 
how to attenuate them or switch them off. It's obviously a, a tragedy when it when it, when it goes wrong. But it, I mean, it's a fascinating topic. I mean, I think a lot of listeners will probably be surprised that itch is an area where there is a sort of need for research. It seems like one of those sort of fundamental biological processes that we would understand by now. But you know, actually. There is that a lot of a lot of research that needs to be done to better understand it. That's one thing I wanted to touch on. You, you talked about it a little bit earlier that in 2019 you won the Ig Nobel Peace Prize for your research into the pleasurability of scratching an itch. Could you uh, just <laughs> describe a little bit? Uh, firstly, for people that don't know, maybe you could give a quick explanation of what the Ig Nobel Prizes are, uh, but also what inspired the research that you and your colleagues undertook. Well, the first thing is the Ig Nobel Prize was set up by um, a guy in America who, who wanted to basically recognise that a lot of science can appear a bit quirky, but it can be really nonetheless informative and based on some really good insight. Uh, so a number of years ago, he set up this Ig Nobel Prize to celebrate scientific research that was it made you laugh and then it made you think. What he's done with this is basically captured the public's attention in a way that would not normally be captured if it was just locked within the confines of of academia. This science isn't trivial. It's done by scientists who basically have cottoned onto something or identified something which is really fundamentally interesting, but a bit quirky. And what Mark does with the Ig Nobel, there's massive award ceremonies in Harvard every year where real Nobel laureates actually hand out the prizes. And why we did the study, and I have to mention uh, my good friend, Professor Gil Yosipovich, who I think is probably one of the most significant characters in the whole itch clinical world, who basically was responsible for setting up the International Society now, the International Forum for the Study of Itch. Uh, When I first met Gil, uh, he was working at the National Skin Institute, I think, in Singapore. Um, you get some very interesting and different dermatological conditions in the Far East than you do in the Far West, so to speak, because humid climates, etc., etc. So it's a very different clinical arena. Uh, but Gail, with some help from myself and others, wanted to set up the first sort of itch symposium. Uh, and we were surprised at the first meeting how many people actually turned up. There was like, it's a bit like almost like a bit of market research. It, it, there was an unmet need. Lots of basic scientists, clinicians, etc., travelled from all over the world to attend that meeting. Um, so I've worked and published some papers with Gil for quite some time now. He's now in Florida, and the basis of the Ig Nobel Prize paper was itch. Obviously, is a nerve fibre, uh, and that nerve fibre innovates different parts of the body and are there is there a topographical difference in in where a scratch and an itch may be more troublesome or may be rewarding to scratch so we basically made people itch on different body parts and rated uh, their response to how pleasant it is to to scratch that itch um, and the ankle came up and then you start thinking well why but again, if you go back to my earlier comments that itch is a protective mechanism, you know, bipedalism means that your feet are very near to the ground. You're likely to pick up insects and bugs. You know, you may need to address that body part more than another body part. And don't forget, the whole point of, a, of something being pleasant is not just to make you happy. It's a reward system that, that is engineered into our, into our new nervous systems to, to, to generate a behavior that has some benefit to it. So if it's associated with a reward, then we're likely to do it. 
And again, the same thing happens in the opposite direction with pain nerves here. Yeah? The pain nerve basically tells you don't do that again. You know, if you put your hand on a burning hot plate, you're not going to do it twice because you've learned that that pain signal is aversive. However, if you look at uh, the re reward from scratching an itch, that very behavior is causing the skin microvascular to, to, to dilate. You're basically causing an, a local inflammation. And of course, what that scratching is doing is washing away the toxin. So the scratch has a purpose. But again, when we look at clinical conditions, uh, that scratch itch cycle can become compulsive. There was a famous report a number of years ago where some poor lady had a chronic itch on her, on her forehead and she basically scratched through her skin, through her skull. Yeah? So she, she did, because that itch would not go away and the scratch was the only way to make it go away. So her scratching basically caused severe damage. Now that's a neuropathic itch. That, that's, that's how devastating that chronic condition can be. Uh, like the guy that's had his leg blown off. And if you can't get to that itch, it takes over your life. You, know, you, can't, you can't ignore it. Uh, so at that level, it sort of shuts everything else down. In a similar way to chronic pain, you know, these two systems, when they're chronic, you can't think of anything else. That's it. You, know, that, that's, that's, you have to address it. And if it won't be switched off, then obviously there's the tragedy. So one thing that I was really curious about was something that you mentioned earlier in terms of stimulating itch in the lab in specific areas. How on earth do you go, go about doing this? Is it a case of um, relying on the contagious nature of itch to, to sort of see where people scratch and ask them about how it felt? Or, or is there a little bit more of a scientific approach to it? No, I, I think if we if we had to wait for someone to, to have an itch, we, we'd, we'd be there for years. Uh, in fact, the classic receptor on an itch nerve is activated uh, by a compound called histamine. So when you scratch an itch, there are mast cells in the skin that release histamine. So that when the, that release of histamine is locking onto these nerve fibers that were only recently identified that there is a channel for itch. It used to be thought that itch was just another lower form of pain. But it was only around about 2000, late, around about that period, but a, a good friend of mine, Martin Schmelz, uh, in Germany, discovered or, or identified that we have specific nerve fibers that code for itch. So they are a separate population of nerves. They serve one single purpose, and that is to, to send signals to the brain that are decoded as itch. So experimentally, if we want to make someone itch, we have a number of ways of delivering histamine through the skin. We can inject histamine, um, but of course that causes damage to the skin because you're putting a needle through. So we have a very clever way of using a technique called iontophoresis. Uh, and iontophoresis is a technique where you can put a very small charge across the skin. And if you've got a molecule that's got a positive charge, you can draw it through the skin by linking it to a negative charge. So you can draw histamine through the skin without doing any damage to that skin. And this is a very, very effective way of activating itch nerve fibers. And what we see when we do that is that the participant will start increasing their reporting of itch intensity. And at the same time, we see all the vascular changes that are associated with an itch. So you get blood flow increases, you can get a swelling, of course, but you know, due to blood vessels becoming leaky. So basically, you've got a very experimentally controlled itch situation where you can start looking at all the consequences of what's happening. 
and you can sample the local milieu to see what molecules are being released. The whole inflammatory process by, you know, can be understood experimentally. And we've even done this with looking at what's going on in the brain because we can stick people in fMRI scanners and we can look at brain areas that are activated when we induce an itch. And again, it's trying to get at that architecture centrally in the brain that is activated during that particular sensory experience so that we can again... If we understand the mechanics, we're in a far better position, I think, to be able to switch it off when we know how it works in in normal, healthy people. And that's the same story with pain research as well. You know, we need to know the wiring diagrams, and then we can start getting in and trying to understand what's gone wrong with that wiring diagram with pathological conditions. Super fascinating. When Matt was uh, asking about, like, how do you cause an itch, I was imagining like a feather situation and I don't know why, (laughs) just brushing a feather over the skin. Uh, (laughs) But that's far more interesting. Um, I mean, I I think we touched a bit on this um, earlier. At what point does itch become a medical issue? When should someone be concerned about the amount that they're consensus amongst clinical populations or or, or, um, around clinicians that if something lasts beyond what it would normally be there for as a protection, then you start needing to seek some kind of advice. I mean, chronic pain states are deemed to be a chronic state when that pain is still there after three months. I don't think personally that's such good advice. I think a chronic pain state is probably there from the beginning. It's just that you have a susceptibility to developing a chronic response to a, a nerve injury, for example. You don't want people running to the doctors or the dermatologists every five minutes when they get an itch. So I think, again, it's just the longer that condition persists, let's say after an injury, rather than some conditions you know, like psoriasis, which have a much longer time scale to them and a, and a different sort of underlying cause, but I know in, in the later stages of pregnancy, there's a, a horrible case that's state that some women get where they have this, they have this terrible itch. You know, this, the, the, the last trimester can be just scratching mad, but it will stop as soon as the baby's born. So, so you know, in a sense, you know, they're OK. It's just that they do experience what a chronic itch state can be like. But it is generally for dermatologists. You know, it's a nerve that basically draws people to the dermatologist. Um, And again, I think this relates a lot to my experience in pain research. These conditions necessarily bring different disciplines in medicine and science together. And medicine is fundamentally feudal, generally. If you've got a condition, you'll go to the cardiologist, the ophthalmic guy, the orthopedic guy, the cardiologist. But pain doesn't recognise any single discipline normally within medicine. Uh, And there's a similar evolution understanding that itch likewise can have multiple causes so you need really good multidisciplinary clinics where you can triage a patient to try and understand what is under what their underlying problem might be and where they might be best treated in terms of some kind of um um yeah an ability to alleviate their 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 distress and their conditions why would you say research on itch is is so important and what more can be learned to to get to the bottom of it? I think with all clinical conditions or conditions that have some associated distress with them, unfortunately, it's population numbers that pushes the research. Yeah, So chronic pain is 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 rife and rampant. Um, so there's a big lobby group forcing to some extent the fact that we invest more money in understanding the the basis of chronic pain states. And there's been a, 
you know, it just sort of come along as a sort of a, you know, a poor relation in some ways because it, it because of this sense that it's not that serious, yeah. And I think it's only it's only with publicity, it's only with getting out there and you know, groups be, being able to actually express just how devastating it is uh, to suffer from a chronic itch condition that we'll begin to be able to get more interest in, amongst clinical populations and and underlying that i mean all medicine is basically fueled by basic science yeah they they don't work on how to cure things the basic scientists come up with the mechanisms and the clinicians test them out in the field and the ones that work will basically come into mainstream medicine that process can take years by the way as well um, and again much as with pain there's a whole range of different chemical, you know, drug type developments now in how you can treat patients. But yeah, I mean, it, it basically, you know, it's a neurobiological problem. It's nerves. And getting into that is serious business. I mean, there are a number of animal models, but they very rarely translate through to human. So we need to work at the human end uh, and understand more about what's gone wrong uh, in conditions of chronic itch. But, um, well, that's our ambition. Are there groups of people within the population who are more susceptible to itch in terms of how pronounced they, they react to it or, or how common it is for it to get out of control? I mean, I noticed that in my relationship, for example, I get much more, uh, much bigger reactions to, to an itch and the need to scratch it than my wife does to the point where I sort of will sometimes jump if I get a really bad itch. No, no, that, that, that's a good question. I think what medicine is becoming far more aware of is that we're not all the same there's a massive move now to personalize medicine uh, where they recognize that the same drug or one drug does not cure everybody there are specific phenotypic differences in the way that we respond we're all different yeah and that's the point and developments of most medicines have not really recognized that they need to target individual you know this you know now it's cheaper to do you know genome-wide assessments and we can be fingerprinted a lot more cheaply and that may be the route where we can have much better targeted drug delivery as i say we now have two international societies for pain and itch uh, i do want to mention by the way the third c fiber that is a <laughs> that is a passion of mine uh, and this is a c fiber that was only recently discovered um by the swedes again about 1980 1990 there's another C fiber in the skin that responds to gentle touch. Now, this nerve fiber has evolved and been found in all social mammals. Uh, its relevance now, I think, is, has, has never been more prominent because of COVID. So the one good thing about COVID, if there is anything good about COVID, it is alerted to people to how important a hug and a caress is. Yeah. Now, that hug and that reward you get from the hug and the caress it's not some psychological phenomenon, it's neurobiological. There's a nerve in the skin that responds optimally to the reward of gentle touch. Now this actually takes me down a very interesting route because I've always been interested to understand why scratching an itch is so pleasurable. I mean, basically scratching an itch, you know, if I asked you to scratch, scratch your arm now and you'd find it quite uncomfortable, yeah? If I ionterfreeze histamine into your arm, and then ask you to scratch it, you'd be smiling like a, yeah, you, oh, yeah. So what's happened? All I've done is activate an itch nerve in your skin. Previously, when you scratched that skin site, it was, it was uncomfortable, if not painful. I 
put histamine there and make you scratch. You then do exactly the same manoeuvre again, and you're ecstatic. What's happened? Uh, now, what we've done is a really interesting experiment, actually. <laughs> we have this uh, very rare patient. Called, he won't mind me giving his name out. It's Ian Waterman. Uh, Ian, when he was 18 or 19, uh, suffered some chronic uh, condition, like an autoimmune condition, that destroyed all the touch nerves in his body. So below the neck, if you touch Ian anywhere on his body, he can't feel a thing. Yeah. So he's lost. He's, he's not quite unique, but these patients are very rare. But what? Oh, Ian, and, and you can YouTube him. There's some wonderful YouTubes on Ian Waterman. Uh, he's an amazing character. Um, so he has no sense of touch. Yeah. He doesn't. He he, he can't recognise. He can't feel a thing. These patients also can't generally move because touch nerves are also present in the muscles and joints to tell you where your body is. Yeah? The only reason you know where your arm is is that muscle receptors and joint receptors are telling you where your arm is. If those nerves are missing, you've got no idea where your body is in space. However, and this is where Ian became very important for us, he has C-fibers. Yeah? So the myelinated nerves have gone, but the unmyelinated nerves are still there. So if you prick Ian with a pin, he'll go, ouch. He won't necessarily know where you've pricked him with the pin because the spatial localization is not very good, but he'll go, ouch. When we put Ian in a brain scanner and stroke him with this, uh, the preferred velocity of the C-fibers, emotional parts of his brain are activated. Yeah? So that was the proof that this C-fiber that responds to gentle touch is not a sensory nerve, it's an emotional nerve. Oh, wow. Now that got me on to... Well, there's a nerve fibre, a C-tactile afferent, it's called, that basically gives the reward associated with gentle touch. Uh, let's see what happens when we ion-to-freeze histamine into Ian. Uh, so we, we did a, a rather long study, but basically the, the bottom line is that when we ion-to-freeze histamine into Ian, he gets a sensation of itch because his C-fibres are working. If he then locates the area and rubs it, he gets a sense of reward. So this paper, we're just getting it ready for publication. So that reward that he experienced of rubbing that itch can only have been generated by this other C5, the one that responds to gentle touch. So there could be a story there where... Because the one thing that drives chronic itch patients to the dermatologist is that obsessive, compulsive scratching. Whereas we've seen at the extreme cases, they do enormous damage to the skin. In fact... The very interesting thing about scratching an itch in a chronic state is that these patients would sooner the pain than the itch. It's the pain that stops the itch. And again, it's an indication, I think, that pain, the itch is worse than pain to experience. Look at people with chronic itch conditions. They'll scratch that skin till it bleeds. Yeah, They'll scratch it and scratch it. And the pain, so you've activated the nociceptors now, the pain nerves appear to be gating or shutting down the signals coming in the itch nerves. But this other little C-fiber that responds to gentle touch is, is not being recognized, I would say, almost at all by, clinical popu by, by clinicians because not a lot of people know about it. But I think, it's, to me, it's one of the most important sensory nerve fibers we've got. There's quite a few people who don't like being touched. Um, do you think, you know, that there, there's a sort of resistance to that 
uh, to hugs, to gentle caresses. Well, we know that the nerve fibre itself doesn't give a damn. Yeah, so we can, rec- yeah, we we have the only laboratory in the UK that can use this beautiful, wonderful technique of microneurography. We can put a recording electrode into a peripheral nerve. We can go into that nerve, and it's a bit like a massive telephone cable. We can listen into conversations coming down particular individual neurons. So we can listen in to the to information coming down the C tactile afferent. And when we stimulate its receptive field with our robot, we see that this nerve fibre is tuned to respond optimally to the kind of velocities that someone would say is pleasant. So the robot doing that touching will activate the nerve fibre in the same way as a human touching would activate the nerve fibre. So at that level, it's, yeah, the information needs to go in and then the brain will decode it as, as being rewarding, i.e. I'd like more of that. And again, that's what's gone wrong with COVID is that people for the first time in their lives have recognized that something's missing they don't quite know what it is it's a c-tactile afferent because stimulation of this nerve fiber does a number of significant things it releases oxytocin it releases dopamine it activates endogenous opiodergic systems it lowers cortisol and it lowers heart rate yeah now this is all input from the nerve fiber there's nothing top down here this is information coming in that nerve fiber that has all those beneficial stress-reducing effects. In fact, I'm working with a colleague in Belgium where we're putting a research proposal together for the European Space Agency who runs surrogate long-term Mars studies in Antarctica. So Antarctica is, is, is a surrogate for a, for a, for a long-stage flight to Mars because those scientists there are they're down there for 12 months. They're totally isolated. So you get, a, you get a lot of situations where you can study their psychology and their physiology. But the one thing that we've impressed them on is what those people have never really looked at scientifically is touch. And this comes back to loneliness as well. You know, none of the loneliness community have really woken up to the idea that what lonely people don't get is touch. Um, and it's a specific kind of touch. Yeah? It's this caressing, gentle touch. So we're hoping to get some more exposure to understanding how sensory isolation or, lo- or loneliness can also be ameliorated to a large extent by activating, by recognizing, first of all, it's recognizing that the system's there, and then you, then you know how to test a hypothesis that if it's not being stimulated, what are the consequences? Well, we've seen the consequences. Yeah? You look around the whole world, the number of times you hear people pleading to stroke their granny or have a hug it's this nerve fiber it's screaming out touch me touch me but going back to your question about not wanting to be touched i don't particularly like being touched which makes my wife hysterical (laughs) (laughs) considering considering my obsession with it there's a long way to go this nerve fiber as i say is only like i say i just love the idea that this trilogy this trinity of three c fibers they must be talking to each other in more ways than we really fully understand and the more we understand about the mechanisms, the more we'll be able to understand how to put things right when they go wrong. Uh, and that's what basic science provides, is insights into how things work. And then you're far better able to understand what happens when they don't work, um, particularly with things like stress. Um, obviously, with uh, the pandemic over the last year, you mentioned people aren't sort of getting the touch that they normally would do um, and I'm guess I assume that's why obviously we're hearing a lot more about burnout and stress from the general public and um, do you Absolutely. think that's in part because they're not getting that touch that they they sort of expect on a day-to-day basis 
No, ab- absolutely. Uh, yeah, we published a couple of papers where we gave people a, a table to stroke. Yeah, so they just asked stroke that table. We gave them a wooden arm to stroke. And we look at the data and they're all over the place. Yeah, people are stroking it different. We then gave them their partner's arm to stroke and they all lock in. And the fact that exactly the same happens if you've got a cat or a dog, yeah, but not a goldfish. You'll stroke, you'll stroke that animal exactly. And it's a beautiful system. Yeah, when we record from the nerve fiber, it is most active at around three to three to five centimeters per second. So more spikes are coming down that nerve fiber when you're doing that velocity. If you then put people into a psychophysical experiment and we stroke them at six different velocities from 0.1 to 30 centimeters per second, and we ask them how pleasant was that, we get exactly the same function. They prefer the three to five centimeters per second as being really pleasant. Faster is less pleasant and slower is less pleasant. So the psychology and the neurophysiology map on perfectly together. So this nerve fiber is playing a beautiful job in promoting and controlling uh, the reward associated with, with close physical contact. And COVID stopped it to a large extent. And we're beginning to see the consequences. But it can be put back. I mean, you can self-soothe. You know, the idea of self-touch is... Yeah, if you look at people who are frustrated, you know, they quite often rub their forehead. And if you do that, it's actually, you know, you feel a bit better. You know, but you're, you're basically, you're, you're, you're stroking your CTs because we've never found them in the glabrous skin of the hand, which is really interesting. Yeah, we've never found them here. We only found them on what's called hairy skin sites, which is basically the skin on the rest of your body. So when you self-touch, you know, you're touching without a CT on a body part that has a CT. Um, so you're sort of yourself and self-soothing releases oxytocin and oxytocin is a hormone that does many things but of course it increases social engagement it has a whole load of benefits that make you more sociable fantastic well thank you so much for talking us through that and talking us through all your fascinating research and, and the research you're currently exploring it sounds like there's there's lots that's been done but there's there's a lot a lot to come so it's really fascinating really interesting all right thank you very much matt thanks again to professor francis mcglone for joining us um our first ig Nobel prize winner and we really really appreciate him coming on and talking about all of his research that he's done into itch and touch we hope that you enjoyed it as much as we did and we hope that you join us again in two weeks time where we'll be talking to dr justine clark on pregnancy and the skin 